Hey, hello, and welcome to the show. In this podcast, we put the spotlights in the fantastic King's College London community and the amazing work being done all across our institution. Our guests are academics, staff and students here at KCL and from our partners all across the collective industries we're collaborating with. That's right. Our guests are you. This is the King's Court with your host, David Sylvester. Let's do this. Roll credits. Welcome back to the King's Court. I am, of course, your host, David Sylvester. It's wonderful to have whoever's listening back for episode four. It's been quite a journey so far. And speaking of journeys, I got a call back from the cycling uh, bike maintenance place that's working on my bike. And I'm happy to say that it's just costing more and more money by the day. So it's really good uh, and fun to know that the bike I initially spent a bit of money on is going to be more and more expensive. I'm obviously being uh, vehemently sarcastic here. Anyway, so for guest number four, I'm incredibly happy and honoured to say that we have the Associate Director of Widening Participation at KCL. He's been in the role since January 2018, and his actual uh, job role and his capacity is incredibly varied. And I think it's a lot better that he just describes what he does than I do uh, in, in an inferior fashion. So without further ado, here is the amazing, the iconic Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett, welcome to the King's Court. Thank you, David. The iconic Michael Bennett. Gosh, I hope I can live up to that billing. Um, also, don't tell me those things about your bike, given that I've literally just bought a bike, although I haven't picked it up yet. And now I'm slightly, slightly regretting my decision. Thanks. Was it brand new, the bike you got? No, it was not. From Gumtree? Uh, from eBay. Ooh. But it seems to be in good working order, dare I say. Very trustworthy seller, by the looks of things, down in Croydon. I'm counting the days now. I'm thinking when I get it and I want to set it up and go and experience the city in yeah. a new way, and then I'm going to find that actually it's going to need to be in for repairs for however long. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to me. The guy I was speaking to, he said, "Oh yeah, it's fine, it's rideable." I got there and oh, oh, this is weird. The the bike, the back brake doesn't work. Really, what, what a coincidence! Oh yeah, it was fine uh, before I put it in a van. Of course it was, mate. Then I, uh, it was torrential rain. First time I'd ever ridden a bike in twenty years, so I crashed, which was great. Messed up my knees, my shoulder, my shin, my hands, couldn't play guitar. Oh, no. Then I took it to the bike repair place, and they're like, oh, yeah, this will be a, about 80 pounds. Oh, actually, no, it'd be 140. Actually, it's kind of more 200. So it, just, it just gets better. But anyway, you know, that's just me. I, I have bad luck. Yeah, but do you know what? Maybe I'll get one of those things. You know, you can take the back wheel off and, like, stick it on a, I don't know what they're called, but, like, a treadmill, I guess, and have it in the shed and just ride it but not on the road, because then there's no way I can damage myself, the bike, or anyone else. That's true. Maybe that's the way forward. I don't know. Seems to be the fashionable thing at the moment. You know, first of all, when you were saying that, I started to picture a unicycle. <laughs> anyway, uh, first of all, how are you doing? Uh, I'm very well, actually. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm keeping it together in my shed in South London. Excellent. Good to know. And... Uh, what did you do on your last day at King's, out of interest, if you can recall? Before all of this, before the lockdown, what did I do? Yeah, before the pandemonium, as I call it. <laughs> um, do you know, I think we were already talking about what steps we were going to need to take and what we needed to get ready in order to, to work remotely and all of that stuff. So I think there was a lot of chat about that. And then there was a lot of packing of, you know, the stuff that you have in the office or at your desk that has been lying around probably longer than it should have been mm. and discovering things that probably could have been got rid of a long time ago. So there was a bit of that. And then there was a bit of kind of, well, see you in 
couple of weeks, maybe, <laughs> couple, maybe a couple of couple of months. Who knows? Can't be that long, surely. <laughs> but I must say, I mean, I feel like, I mean, the team in particular, you know, my team have really got their heads down, really kind of made sure we've not not missed a beat, really, despite all the headaches and heartaches and so on that goes along with it. Mm, nice. How about you? Well, I I've been at home. It's not like I can just bring a front desk home and be like, oh, "Okay, this is the new school of law." <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've I've been at home uh, doing uh, LinkedIn learning, uh, working on the show, working on music. Uh, yeah, so I've been productive and creative to uh, maintain my sanity, which was probably minuscule to begin with. Well, we have this show as a result. Exactly. This has been a beacon of hope for my uh, ailing fortitude. <laughs> and speaking of which, I'm really intrigued to know, first of all, what your job role entails as Associate Director of WP. And if you wouldn't mind just please going in whatever depth you'd like to about what widening participation is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in a case of how it fits into the King's Vision 2029 your educational strategy service and successes so far. And just, just as a first really large question. <laughs> Start with the easy ones. So, I mean, I provide the, the leadership and the oversight for WP as, as it's affectionately known uh, at King's. Widening participation as a, as a thing in higher education has been around for quite a while. And, and mm. we've got a program in place at King's that's been sort of coming on in leaps and bounds, really, especially over the last five years. Uh, so I, I oversee all of that. And what widening participation is for Kings and, and for the sector is effectively trying to make higher education, trying to make Kings more diverse through all sorts of different work. First and foremost for us with young people uh, in schools and colleges, mm. we want to make Kings more representative of society. And, and more broadly than that, we want to address effectively inequality, mm. injustice, if you like, which is that, you know, you're still more likely to go to university if if you're white and middle class, basically. Mm. Where you're from is still really well connected to where you end up. Without question, unfortunately. That's not right, you know. This far into the 21st century, that's that's not really where you'd hope or expect to be. So in WP, we do work to try and address that. Mm. And I think King's, actually one thing that struck me after I started at King's really was that it does feel like in the institution collectively, there is a sense that there's a, a role, a duty to to address that. Yeah. And that actually nothing in your background should prevent or preclude you from going to uni and from following your passion, uh, whatever that might be. I can attest because uh, I have a lot of uh, WP functions happen in my building. So I see a, a, a flurry of kind of young, eager minds who wouldn't necessarily be given those opportunities so from my perspective i think it's really nice to see mm. I, I i see firsthand a lot of the hard work that goes into it so you know basically you guys are doing a great job oh thank you it's worth saying you know where you're based in law there is where the learning center is the wp learning center yeah and that's a uh, the bit of the building that we use for a majority of our activities and you will see firsthand and it's really great to go down there actually and mm. and see it sort of see it live in in real life where you have groups of of school kids in of various different ages doing all sorts of different activities often led by king students themselves and it, it does have an energy to it when you're uh, when you're in the middle of it all and you get to see see groups coming and going mm, um, for sure and i don't know i like to try and get down there as much as i can it's not as much as not as often as i would as i would like to these days but Still try to make a point of dropping in and, and seeing seeing the various different activities as as they're going on. Mm. And if you wouldn't mind uh, telling us a bit about what exactly K plus is and uh, parent power as well, please. Two parts of uh, WP. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to to, to put it in context, I guess um, the WP department at Kings has three teams within it. Effectively, uh, there's the pre sixteen team who we they do work with predominantly younger year groups. Uh, year seven to year nine in particular, we make sure that ideally we don't see any learners just once. We see them over a series of activities over a series of years and build relationships that way. Mm-hmm. And and that that signature activity there's 
the King Scholars Program. And K Plus is the activity, the project that's run by the Post 16 team, okay. which is year 12 and 13. And that's the signature uh, Post 16 work, again, over a period of years, year 12, year 13, where we see learners who've applied and we engage them in all sorts of different activity over the course of that time to give them a direct experience of the university. It could be academic days, taster days. We work with employers and do careers days and days with um, days with publishers, day, days at the law courts and so on to give them some experience of professional work, how the subject translates to careers. Mm. We do things like culture days and workshops around personal statements, university applications and so on, really to give participants the kind of knowledge experience to build their confidence, to get them into a place where they're able to make the right decisions for them and to make you know, to make a good, realistic set of decisions and also successful applications to King's and indeed to other universities as well. Mm. So K Plus is the kind of large scale uh, flagship, if you like, that's been in place for a good few years. We have every year more and more students who apply to and enroll at King's from K Plus. They graduate into King's, if you like, uh, and join us in the first year. Hmm. It's like the NXT <laughs> of King's. We might return to that analogy. Um, yes. um, so what we've got then is, as well as the work with, with young people themselves, a big part of our ethos is to work with the community, with communities of people around learners who support them. Mm. And a big strand of that is with parents in Parent Power, which is our parental engagement project. And we set Parent Power up a few years ago in partnership with Citizens UK and Citizens UK is an organization that um, is all about empowering civic society to make change, to campaign and to make change locally on issues that, that they want to see addressed. Mm. And one thing we wanted to do was to work with parents much more as partners. So we gathered a group of parents together and effectively trained them in community organizing techniques and to identify things that they wanted to campaign on, uh, inequalities and and so on that they wanted to see addressed so that they could then take that forward. And a big strand of that was access to university. And they, they had some successes there. And we've just actually um, begun a project in South London with uh, Spanish-speaking parents mm. called Empadorando Familias, which is the Spanish-speaking version of Parent Power because there's quite a large uh, population in our local boroughs who weren't really being engaged. So we wanted to try and do that and... Actually, there's a branch of Parent Power just opened up north in Oldham okay. as well, which we're involved with too. So it's been been a pretty big success story there. Parental engagement's traditionally very difficult, and and it can be, but we found that that particularly that working in partnership, empowering them to campaign has really produced something really special, I think. Very much sounds like it. And so there are a couple of our kind of f flagship endeavors if you like but mm. it, everything that we do is really about empowering learners to then be able to follow what they're most passionate about fantastic certainly that's something i wish i wish perhaps that i'd had slightly more encouragement towards when i was young but um i think that's that's the name of the game when it comes to to widening participation certainly at king's yeah for sure it's nice to know that even though you didn't get the support that you would have liked you're the one making a difference now and that's uh, that's a powerful thing to me, truly. Yeah, I think I mean we we do place a lot of emphasis in in the team or in the department on on the on the why you know why do we do this mm. and and our values and I think everyone has their own personal kind of why you know what's meaningful for them. Mm. Um, and for me, it was partly that I mean I was my my dad effectively raised me and my brother and. He didn't discourage us from going to university, but he didn't go to university. Uh, so he basically said, look, do what you feel passionate about. So in a way, I was very lucky to have had that kind of openness, which is so long as you do what makes you happy, that's fine with me. But learning is very important. So if your passion is for learning, then please do follow that. But he couldn't then speak about university mm. And, and how to get there. It's really funny, actually. I remember for years after I graduated, while I was studying, whenever we spoke, he'd say, sorry, remind me, what are you studying again? Uh, English, English literature and language. Oh, okay. 
And every time I spoke to him, he would need reminding what I was studying. <laughs> and it wasn't because he wasn't interested. It's just that he didn't really have a sense that that was something that you went to university and studied for three years. Yeah. And it was just, it was just so funny because after I graduated, he carried on. He'd say, sorry, what was your degree in again? <laughs> and I think it's because maybe he was telling someone at the pub, but he didn't really know quite the, quite what the subject was. And he, he sort of said, well, you know, if that's what makes you happy, then, then, then do it. And I think he also felt that going to university did at least help you gain experiences, learn new things and mm. help you get a job, whatever that was that you, you wanted to go on to do. So um, I was quite glad in a way to have had it left open to me. And in a way, I think what we do is we say, whether you have the career in mind, whether you've got it in your sights and you, you know and you've got a dream for what you want to achieve, that's great. And here are the steps, the concrete, tangible steps you can take to achieving that through study. Mm. Here's the pathway. Or if you're interested in a subject, you don't have to have your entire future mapped out, but if you're interested in this subject and you want to pursue it further, here's how you go about that. You know, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of approach. And not at all. Again, a university like King's means you can follow those paths either way. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Our next segment of the show, which is something we like to call up close and personal. And that's where we like to get to know you a little bit better. And, uh, well, this, this is uh, very much an interesting topic for me. Because you happen to be, uh, using your words, the janitor slash manager of Fort Bubble UK, the UK's biggest comic art festival. And it's actually going to be having its own digital comic on on the 14th to 15th of November, which is quite ambitious, I have to say. I'm very intrigued by this. Uh, please tell us more about this, uh, what it's like to be with Fort Bubble UK, uh, what inspired you to do it, and generally what inspired you uh, with a passion for comic books, please. Yeah, so. Thought Bubble. Um, so it's a comic book festival. Uh, we set up, some of my friends set up in, in 2007 in Leeds. It's grown every year since. Um, we use that word festival as well because it's not one event, but you know, it's a series of events over the course of a week. Mm. It's a, a celebration. Um, that festival bit's important, celebration of the art form, really. Yeah. Um, so over that week, we do workshops and talks screenings there's an academic conference that's part of it too um and it, it sort of happens in various places across across leeds across west yorkshire with with schools and colleges libraries galleries and yeah we cap it off with a big comics convention at, at the weekend uh, at the end of that week um we moved it last year we sort of outgrown the city center in leeds and moved over to the convention center uh, for the weekend uh, over in Harrogate, mm. and I think we had about 10,000 people through the doors last year. That's a lot of people. Yeah, people are into it. People have been very receptive. Um, I should say I refer to myself as the janitor, of, um, <laughs> mainly on Twitter and, and, and with friends, but, I mean, I, I'm involved in that in various I have various roles, really. Guest liaison, floor manager. I kind of help manage the convention on the on the day and over the weekend certain amount of that sort of troubleshooting really and mm. looking after people solving problems um fixer exactly janitor fixer maybe it's better actually um sometimes you come in and fix stuff before they become problems i mean with an event that size there's always there's always an element of that just to make sure everything's running smoothly for sure and with thought bubble i think the audience we have i guess is because what people respond to we always tried to be inclusive from mm. from the outset so we've always had a very strong lgbtq representation there uh, we've we've worked with autism charities over the years and what comics can do um, for people with autism during the convention we have a, a sort of dedicated space and area for people to go and relax just turn the volume down mm. you know when it's when it's busy like that it gets kind of loud and, and challenging to navigate that environment. So, you know, we try and try and come out from that perspective, really. More broadly, we've always sort of put everyone at equal billing. You know, we don't privilege one type of comics over the other. You know, most people think of superheroes and Marvel and DC stuff and, and, and the movies now. Sure. I've always had those folks, you know, and people who've worked on the movies, you know, and sort of big in that world, and that's great. But, you know, comic book publishers... Penguin Random House and Jonathan Caper publishing comics, kids comics and young adult comics and graphic novels outsell Marvel and DC. 
and that's that's huge and i think to a point yeah the future is what the kids read in and what's what's big for them with families yeah at the same time there's a really healthy independent publishing scene diy kind of small press um Mm. so every every genre really and every kind of every sort of everything the medium has to offer we kind of try and give equal billing equal voice that's that's really good yeah yeah it's kind of and this year it's things being where where they are it's a digital convention this year um Mm. that'll be on the 14th 14th 15th november that weekend which actually might with it being online it might um widen our reach even further we we get big crowds in but you know we we've got chance for participation in a different way it's it's impressively ambitious i have to say yeah i think because it's a varied program it means that there's lots of ways in for people you know comics as a medium is a pretty broad church Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the kind of headline headliners, if you like, um, this year we've got Joe Sacco coming. He's a he's a Maltese American cartoonist. He's doing a talk. Uh, he basically does journalism in comics. He he put out a I think he first sort of came to prominence with a book called Palestine, probably about twenty years ago now, which is about you know about life in, in Palestine. He's done books about the Bosnian war about refugees uh, trying to get to Malta. That was called footnotes from Gaza. He deals with these sort of big contemporary sort of subject matter, often about conflict zones and and so on. Mm. He's got a new book out called paying the land, which is about kind of exploitation of indigenous, indigenous lands in Canada. Um, so he's going to be discussing that. And um, I think there's a chunk of our crowd of our thought world crowd who are here for that. You know, it is really interesting because it's sort of documenting real life. Mm. You know, the act of getting it and then turning it into a series of drawings um, while also trying to, you know, capture facts and, and what's true to life is a really kind of, it's a pretty novel approach to journalism, really, actually. For sure. But then Joe Sacco's published by Penguin, you know, Palestine. I think Palestine must have come out 25 years ago. And that, that won the American Book Award. So it's not, mm. it's not niche either. You know what I mean? It's sold. Yeah. His books have sold hundreds of thousands of copies over the world. Um, but at the same time, you know, at the very same time, you have big tentpole movies about superheroes, you know, that sort of dominate in Hollywood. So comics is able to to kind of kind of capture all these different things and speak to people in all these different ways. Mm. I think we we try and kind of place equal emphasis on all those things and yeah, it works pretty well. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about this year with it being online. Although part of me will miss kind of being up there in person and getting the getting the halls set up. A certain amount of which involves carrying hundreds of tables and chairs around and, <laughs> and getting these vast uh, convention center halls set up. Um, maybe I won't miss that quite so much. Rough of the smooth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's thought bubble. Okay. Yeah, that's powerful, and <laughs> I have to say it's. It's really cool giving equal footing and platforms to uh, different mediums of comic books there. It's it's good to hear that there's exposure and consideration. Yeah. Because I, I myself, I've always been a, a big comic book fan, but I'm kind of air towards the mainstream side myself, so it's intriguing. I'd, I'd right. never heard of Joe Sucker until you mentioned him, so uh, I've learned something myself here, and thank you for that. Happy to help. So I'm I'm very compelled to ask you, Michael, some of your favorite comic books and story arcs, please. I, I have to know. <laughs> um, and I always struggle with this one as well. You know, when someone asks you, what's your favorite album, favorite movies and all of that. Deceptively hard, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, without then going into like a list of like 20 things as well. Um, mm. I mean, I read comics when I was a kid, you know, and I, I think I probably first went into a comics shop when I was maybe 12 or 13. And and at that time, you kind of Marvel Comics, Spider Man and X Men and and so on. They were all yeah. doing these big. This was like the late nineties, you know. So they were doing these big event storylines, and you had to buy twelve comics. Age of Apocalypse, Maximum Clonage. Yeah, you know exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. I can tell we we must be contemporaries. I think so. But you you know you remember you had to buy like twelve comics a month to understand what was going on. Yeah, and a lot of them had like these sort of gimmick covers with holograms on them and, mm. and so on. Probably not sustainable uh, <laughs> business, but 
and it was confusing, but equally, and also it was the late nineties. So everything was quite extreme. Um, oh the uh, the age of the anti-hero yeah exactly and objectively i suppose some some of that stuff might be considered you know a bit trashy or whatever but i I've, i guess i've still got some some love for that stuff um now if i mean if i had to pick like a couple that for me are like all time all timers or whatever um i don't really follow much now i probably buy a stack of books once or twice a year just to see what's going mm. on but um I like Alan Moore's writing. He wrote mm, Watchmen and super cool. Yeah, he Watchmen and V for Vendetta, which are quite famous now. But most things he's written, I quite enjoy. From Hell, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. A um, mm. couple of guys from Scotland, Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly, they wrote a book. One well, made a book called All Star Superman for DC, and they wanted it to be this sort of perfect Superman story. Um, okay. And I think it's quite lovely that one. And my kids really like that book as well. And then Interesting. I like Jack Kirby a lot. Um, mm. Kirby, you probably know Kirby sort of with an assist from Stanley, you know, he created a lot of the superheroes yeah. that are in the movies now, you know, a lot of the Avengers and, and all of those, but he did a, a cosmic story in the seventies called the fourth world. Um, and I, I Oh, I love that. I I think he would reject the word genius. You know, you probably think that's really pretentious or whatever. But, I mean, if you look at his art, you know, creating all those characters and the vision that he had and then also just the work rate and the, the craft yeah. that went into it. It's hard not to call him one. Yeah, I mean, one in a million, I think. And I'll give a, For sure. another mention to another one just popped into my mind. Um, there's a comic called Love and Rockets. It's probably my favorite ever comic, maybe. I don't know. Wow. But okay. that was by two brothers, the Ananda's brothers in the 80s it started. Um, and each of the brothers, Gilbert and Jaime, had a set of stories each that they did in this overall book, Love and Rockets. Um, Gilbert's was set in a, a Mexican village called Palomar. And it sort of follows the kind of lives and relationships and families in and out of this village. Um, mm. Jaime's book started out, it started out as a really loose sci-fi book actually, but he sort of settled into writing about, the, it was set in the 80s, hardcore punk scene in LA. Okay. And it was about the kind of friendship and, and relationship of um, these two central characters, Maggie and Hopi. Um, they, their kind of lives and losses over the years. And I think this one, I like it because the characters get old, like they age in real time almost. That's always cool. So they have kids or, you know, they split with someone and then years later they see him again and you kind of can follow along. And that means that something, it can be quite messy, but then when something happens, it has a lot of meaning. Yeah, I think, I think it's very rewarding. Yeah, you can create these sort of real kind of complicated people while also being quite yeah. broad, you know, with, with comics. That lands really well for me. And also the drawings are really great, like, I think mm. I, I probably shouldn't choose, but like, I think I like Jaime's drawings more than Gilbert's. They're sort of really casual. Poor Gilbert. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, they're both great, <laughs> but like just really stylish, but also mm. I don't know. The art feels really like lived in, like it feels like real people almost. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, that one means a lot to me actually. Also Dogman. I'm going to give a shout out to Dogman. Uh, that's my kids read Dogman. They're loving Dogman at the moment. And that's, that's a, kids comic published by scholastic um which nice. i'm sure sells bucket loads you know across the world um way way more than like superman comics sell for example uh and everyone really? everyone should read dogman it's great fun okay well i'm gonna take those recommendations on board myself <laughs> thanks start with dogman actually it's 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 a laugh um especially if you've got especially if you've got kids yeah or maybe i'll read it with my son might be it depends how old he is but uh nine okay he might be he might get something out of it he's probably getting slightly too old mine are six and four and they're they're just right for it at the moment they 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 find it hilarious oh maybe not then there's jokes in there for grown-ups too though okay see and i watch a lot of anime together i haven't watched anime for a lot of years what are his favorites Oh, your favourites? Well, we watch uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure together, and it's both our favourite thing of all time. Uh, we watch One Punch Man, uh, Bleach. Well, we haven't watched Bleach in a while. 
One Piece and a suggestion of Naruto. Ah, see, I remember a few of those from from years ago when I, you know, when I used to go to comic book shops. I remember seeing those, and people have talked to me about One Punch Man and and Bleach, and said I should have a look. What was the first one you said? JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I I cannot recommend that enough. See that? I don't even know what that's about, but. Just from the name alone, I feel like I want to watch that. Oh, you have to. I I, I will uh, link you up with it. And I, you'll appreciate it as well because it goes through the passage of time as well. Basically, it's generational and every protagonist is called Joe something, Joe Star, hence the mm. nickname Jojo. And it's a supernatural, crazy, wild, cerebral tour de force. <laughs> I'll get on that. I'll, uh, I'll send you a link or something. I mean, you, you can you can read the manga or you can watch it on Netflix, but I would uh, highly recommend watching it in Japanese. Okay, I prefer that too. Yeah, it's more authentic, and the voice acting is just a bit shoddy in English, unfortunately. <laughs> cool. I should change the subject before I just don't stop about this, which leads me on to the next segment of the show, which is something we like to call "Let's Talk." I want to talk about professional wrestling with you. Now, what a lot of people aren't going to know, really, is that you actually share a name with a wrestler. And we've been speaking and having nice conversations before. And then I realized, oh, wait, hang on. You've got the same name as a guy called Michael Bennett. And then we started talking wrestling. And yeah, I'm just intrigued to know uh, really what got you into wrestling as well. Because you just like a lot of things I do, basically. And I'm selfish like that. Uh, it's funny, eh? So I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a, a wrestler called Michael Bennett. Does he have another? What's his other name? Uh, his his gimmick name, they called him Mike Canellis because he's married to Maria Canellis. All right. Okay. The female wrestler. Right. I, I don't I don't really know like his his deal. Um, I I think there are probably a few of them. I think there's an American footballer called Michael Bennett as well. Yeah, there is. When you told me I had the same name as a wrestler, I, I didn't actually know that at the time. Um, so that was that was a... Uh, a revelation um i mean we've we have we've spoken about wrestling in passing haven't we and um for me it's similar to comics i guess um in that i wouldn't say i'm like a full-time full-on fan of wrestling now i got into it when i was a kid in primary school i guess must have been 1990 yeah early 90s it definitely yeah on video with a few of my friends and then I think like a lot of people, you know, certainly, I guess, a lot of boys in primary school get into wrestling and then fall out of it once you sort of go off to school, uh, secondary school, which I did. And I kind of looked back fondly on the kind of early 90s, which I guess was when wrestling was probably at its peak, right, in terms of popularity? Well, they've had two peaks. Uh, one was the late 80s, early 90s, yeah. when you had Hulk Hogan at the top, and the other one was the late 90s with Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock at the top. Yeah, yeah. See, this is the thing with me then. So Hulk Hogan was the, my kind of reference point from that time. And then I remember, I guess we might have been in sixth form or, yeah, it must have been sixth form. Um, just one of my friends said, have you seen this? And he said, look, basically wrestling is not the same as you remember and i I think someone had recorded something off sky um because i didn't have sky um and we were i guess we were around maybe at someone's house and he put a video on and showed us it and it was exactly that it was um stone cold steve austin and the rock and, and all those guys and actually we we kind of started watching it again then for a year or two i would say yeah partly just as a kind of you know get everyone together on a Friday and hang out kind of thing. Yeah. It was a real social thing. Yeah. 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 And then, um, and then watch a few of the shows every, however often they were every few months. Yeah. Um, so we would do that for probably, probably the sort of last year or so of secondary school and then off to university and I sort of fell out of it again. And now I kind of just, I like to kind of keep an eye on, it's the same as comics, right? It's a mixture of sort of, superhero super feats of athleticism and absolutely there's a lot of actual talent and sport you know conditioning and so on that goes into it oh yeah combined with soap opera ridiculous soap opera kind of storylines and um i don't know who said it i feel like it's this is going to be one of the most like pretentious like quotes ever right so i think it's william blake might not be don't hold me to it and i'm not going to google it 
but it William Blake said exuberance is beauty mm. and like when you watch wrestling it's exuberant very much in, in lots of good ways and lots of bad ways and that makes it kind of just really great fun yeah yeah it's uh, larger than life yeah exactly exactly bigger than life and i kind of keep an eye on it and sort of watch things every now and again really the big shows maybe um just to see see what's going on and partly just because I've, I've kind of always admired that completely I mean, in a way, completely bonkers mix of like fact and fiction and real life dramas with big, ridiculous soap opera combined with this completely crazy acrobatic athletic mm-hmm. display that people put on in front of a, like a live crowd. It's really, I don't think there's anything else like it really. And, and I mean that in lots of good ways and lots of bad ways in a way. Definitely. It's, uh, it, oh, there's nothing like it and to, to hop back to something i said earlier listening to you talk about parent power and the fact it's a feeder system uh for king's college university really does make me think that you are the triple h of <laughs> king's college and widen participation is your nxt which for people listening is basically a developmental branch of world wrestling entertainment where you've got the younger burgeoning up-and-coming talent so it's, it's it's quite relatable to me i like it i think that's possibly one of the most niche like ways anyone's ever <laughs> described widening participation work and i think i'll take it oh yeah um but i think you're right in that partly it is about you know showing people a system that they might not otherwise be exposed to or have knowledge of and getting people to a point where they can then pursue their dreams, pursue their career, whatever they're aiming for, and getting getting people the kind of experiences and so on that they need to get there to make to make the right choices for them. In a way, you might say we're the NXT of, uh, of Kings. Um, I'm not sure I'm ready to write that into our strategy um, or into our five-year planning yet, but uh, let me let me sit on that for a few more weeks and we'll see. <laughs> my fingers got legs man <laughs> and that that needs, leads us uh very neatly on to the final segment of the show which is something we like to call what wonder, wonder. it's basically an off-the-cuff word association game so i'm going to say one word to you and i just want you to say the first word that comes to you basically so no, no pressure uh, and yeah, whatever whatever happens, happens. Let's do it. Okay, let's go. Are you ready to wonder? <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Diversity. Opportunity. Character. Building. Promo. Communication. Future. Options. Art. Life. Finisher. Stunner. <laughs> Superpower. Ability. Strong style. Japanese wrestling. Sorry, that's not one word. Oh, that's good enough. Cultivation. Growth. Champion. All of us. That's a very cheesy answer. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's what you do. Uh, yeah, and last one, jobber work wonderful and so concludes the word wonder so just wrapping up now uh i'm interested to know what are you looking forward to do when you when you actually get back when we return to some point of normality Mm. and and is there anything you'd like to see change yeah that's a really good question um so i mean just just to start with personally i mean i obviously i'm looking forward to getting back together in person with well, not just with the WP folks, but with, you know, loads of people at King's and getting the getting the young people on our programs, you know, face to face again. I think we've done an excellent job, actually. And I'll say credit to the team because we've basically created digital versions of a lot of our programs in about six weeks because it was really, really important that we didn't lose the year, that the students themselves didn't lose the year as well. Absolutely. And it, I think a lot of that will continue on regardless of, of when we're back doing in-person activity. Mm. But I am looking forward to getting back into that event mode, if you like, um, as far as we're able. Mm. And I'm looking forward to getting together with the team because we are a sociable bunch and, and, and we've done some really cool, fun, interesting stuff online. But I think it would be nice to to just be, be back in and, 
uh, able to to kind of socialize and, and do everything in person. Obviously, that's really, really important for us. Um, and then I think, what would I like to see change and so on? I think one thing that we've all, all of us at King's, both for current students and, and future students, have to acknowledge really is that the impacts of this are, obviously they're huge in all sorts of different ways, but the impacts are going to be felt for a long, long time. Yeah. So there's there's studies now that have been done on things like the the attainment, the achievement gap at school and how it's impacting school learners and how that it's stratified so that more disadvantaged students are being impacted in an even more negative way, mm. as is often the case with, with, with all sorts of things. But in, in terms of the pandemic, it's going to affect the most vulnerable the most, and they're going to sort of have to have to shoulder the most. And, and obviously that's not, not fair or just. So no. I think for us as a team, our work is to address educational inequality, university access in particular, but we also do a lot of work with teachers, with social workers, in the community, with our neighbours. And I think that that's going to be something we're called on and we should be doing even more of, um, partly to to try and mitigate some of the worst effects, but also to to kind of help in recovery, if you like. Yeah. And also, I mean, I referred to it earlier, we've got, we've got the kind of vision 2029 for Kings, and that was to be top of the Russell Group for social mobility and, and for WP. We know some of the targets and stuff we've got to do over the next five years, but actually that was written before all of this, the, the WP strategy. Mm. And I think we're probably going to need to look at where we fit as 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 an institution, but also as, a se- as WP across the whole sector in terms of our work with young people, our work with schools. And if that landscape has shifted, we might we, we're going to need to be open to really thinking quite quite thoroughly, but also quite radically about what we can do. Mm. And I think I think we're going to well, we're having that conversation now, both internally and and you know I'm I'm talking about it with other people at other universities. The the regulators talking about it, uh, the government is talking about it. We need to then think about what does it mean. Where can we best focus our efforts and kind of rededicate ourselves just to make sure that that we're we're helping the people that need it most and no one's getting derailed sure you know from this journey for us it's about access to university but it's also about empowering people to do what they want to do and and I think that that is just going to need to be at the forefront so be, be at the forefront of my mind and I think of the team and also I think definitely uh part of the university, part of the sector will be having those discussions. So um, I think we'll be thinking, we're thinking about it now, but we're going to be thinking about it and doing things in response to it for, for quite a long time to come. That's uh, really impressive that you're forward thinking so much, I have to say, because yeah, it's uh, a lot of people have been saying that, you know, they can't wait to go back to normal, but then there's a the question of what is normal, you know, what, like not everything should go back to how it was there are some things we don't need and there are things that can be improved upon i think you're right and i i mean i do think that in a way it's it's actually brought home you know a lot of pre-existing inequalities you know that already existed mm. but i think it's it's made a lot more people more aware of those yeah for sure i'm i'm hopeful that we can retain that focus and that appreciation i guess that the people that most impacted actually are often the most vulnerable and i think that's often the people that we work with mm. uh, the young people but also families yeah and i think also if we can retain that well not if we can i think we will have a duty to retain that and there are deliberate things we can do to make sure we retain that so i think particularly when you think about kings and the service agenda in particular I think those are the kinds of conversations that are going to be really going on at the forefront and how we can carry on best serving society given where we're at right now and and, and what the future holds. I think you're doing an incredibly good thing, quite frankly. And uh, yeah, more, more power to you, basically. And well, uh, two more questions. First of all, what else have you got coming on the horizon for WP in the future that uh, you might want to tell us, us listeners? So our priorities for the next year or so 
were building new some new activity, building on what went on before, but building some new stuff. So we were going to be doing key stage four GCSE tutoring anyway, mm. locally. We already had a plan in place because actually GCSE attainment is ever more important in terms of higher education access. Yeah. And we, we've been putting that plan together. Now, in response to the pandemic, the government has actually funded a national tutoring program that's been put together by a, an umbrella group of organizations. So we'll need to look at how we align with that and whether we key into that regardless. But we'll be doing that anyway. We were already moving in that direction. We're also looking at doing some more work outside of London because King's WP up to this point, we've had, I'd say, quite a long run of positive impacts and, and successes. And a lot of our focus has been on London. And I think that's been absolutely correct. But I think in order to, to get where we want to be, in order to do some new things and in order to meet some of the targets that we have, we're looking at taking work out to different regions. And I think we're going to now look also at taking the digital stuff we've been working on and pulling it into some sort of national compact, national agreement, some sort of national scheme. Mm. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think that's that's something over the next year that we'll be building out. Uh, and I think the other thing to say is that what we've always had as a department, as well as that focus on school and on university access, we've always been campaigners. We, King's, has a institutional partnership with Citizens UK. We've always done work in partnership with, with citizens, South London citizens, who are our local branch. And we've campaigned on quite a few things over the years. That includes parental engagement, but also we're campaigning with the Latinx community in in London on visibility of that community. We're looking at work with other groups like forced migrants and citizenship as an issue. Again, these things are going to be made even more important by the impacts of the pandemic. Absolutely. Pandemic and Brexit, man. Yeah, I think so. So I think that campaigning and that organizing for change, that aspect of what we do is going to be very important. So we've got our partnership with South London Citizens, who are the, the local branch with Citizens UK. And we're looking at expanding some work we were going to do. It was going to be a social mobility strategy, but I think we'll work with Lambeth and Southwark. We have plans to look at social mobility in response to, to COVID and what it means, particularly for education, the educational journey of, of young people in the borough. And we're going to be starting that with a listening campaign uh, hopefully the latter half of this year. So I think those are going to be our big areas to focus on, uh, as well as looking um, at admissions and recruitment, widening access to Kings directly. We've always had our foot in both and wanted to do both, the, the work with and for Kings, but also more broadly Kings as, and its role in, in particularly the local community and campaigning for on social issues there. I think those two things are still our still our core focus you know i'd just like to say i like the fact that you said uh, you'll be going around listening first of mm. all because that's so important to discover what the problems are before coming up with the solution so that's that's just something i picked up on there which is cool i think that's one of the things that we always try and do and i've I actually we realized with one project we'd forgotten to do actually so with Parent Power, that was all about listen the listening campaign that we ran mm. for quite a long time before actually embarking on any work. A lot of that is built on one-to-one -one listening as well. It's relational conversations with people to find out where they're coming from, to find out what motivates them and, and so on, so that we have a mutual understanding. And where we've had most success, it's when we've put a lot of time and focus on that. And actually, there was a piece of work we, we initially trialed in Hastings where we didn't really do that. And the project didn't work quite as well as we wanted. So what we did was we went back and spent time in Hastings, spending the time putting the work in, really doing that listening. And it's led now to the first year of a project that's been been really successful with partnering with a, a charity down there. And it just showed, it illustrated to me that, you know, that's really the forefront of what we do, building relationships, listening to people, finding out, you know, what the issues are for them. Instead of just parachuting in with a with a fix, with a solution, which usually doesn't work. And I think that that's really essential. Where we've had our biggest successes, it's where we've spent the time doing that. Just as you said, it's it's really important. There's a phrase, I think it was came from disability campaigning um, back in the 70s, I think. And it was 
nothing about us without us. And I think that's it, really. It's the people themselves being involved in working on whatever the solutions are. Um, and it's the same with all our work with young people. We try and involve and engage them, their teachers, their parents, and, and so on. Makes perfect sense. And yeah, just one final question, and that's uh, where can we follow you, i.e. social media? But where's the best platform? And let's make sure we get the right Michael Bennett. <laughs> so uh, my own Twitter is at Mikey, M-I-K-E-Y, J-D Bennett. And that's chiefly King's WP stuff, but also has comics and Thought Bubble stuff as well, occasionally. And King's WP is KCLWP. And also KCL What Works, which is the department that's also part of my remit, which is the team that look at evidence and evaluation, research, social research, and so on, which underpins everything that we do. Mm. So uh, there's a dedicated team, the What Works team, who look at how we prove best impact of what we do and who lead on trialing out and testing out new things. So they're worth a follow as well, KCL What Works. Fantastic. Well, uh, so concludes your time in the King's Court. And uh, without further ado, all I can say is, Michael Bennett, thank you so much for being on the King's Court. Thank you, David. Pleasure. Really enjoyed it. That was Michael Bennett. Uh, I have to say that was uh, a powerful interview for me. It was really nice uh, and informative to know the depth of what uh, it is that widening participation do. It's inspiring to know the amount of effort they've gone into, basically, to create strong foundations of the future for people that need the help. So that's, that's really cool. So, so be sure to follow Michael Bennett in all of the aforementioned places. Okay, and uh, without further ado, I'm just going to say the same thing I will say, which is follow us in the King's Court DS. That's on Twitter, that's on Instagram. Just, we want to talk to you, we want to hear from you. Maybe you have an idea for a segment. Maybe you have a suggestion for a guest. Maybe you want to be a guest. Either way, talk to us. We are listening to you. We want to hear from you. And without further ado, I have just one more thing to say. Remember, in life, there's winning and there's learning. Remember it. Okay, this has been the King's Court episode four. You've been listening. This has been fantastic. Take it easy, stay safe, and keep on trucking. <laughs>